Hey, Nick, did you ever drink vodka and lemonade, smoke a couple of joints, and then take your friend's acid all on the way to go see fish play outside of town, then get so fucked up you couldn't find your ride home, then recognize them only by their patchwork pants and finally make it home at three o'clock in the morning? Only every night of my teenage years. Well, then I want to tell you about a new show from Osiris after midnight. It tells the story of Fish's groundbreaking festival, Big Cypress, which took place on the eve of the new millennium. This is the one where uh, they built a, a city, right? They built a city for 80,000 fans in the Everglades. It, but this is not the one where the, where the fans got eaten by alligators. No, that was a different one. That was one. a different one. Okay, well, good. That's, that's really This is the one that was <laughs> capped off by the band playing for seven hours, ending the concert as the sun rose on January 1st, 2000. Is it true that that set was just one song? <laughs> this five-episode series includes interviews with band members Trey Anastasio and John Fishman as well as fans and crew, and looks back on one of the most unique performances in music history. The show just started it's a couple of weeks ago. The first couple episodes are up now. Go listen and enjoy. You can find that at osirispod.com slash after midnight. That's Osiris, O-S-I-R-I-S-P-O-D dot com slash after midnight. Dr. Pod says take one listen to this show and you'll be bouncing around the room with joy. Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Cole Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? What is up? I'm Elia Einhorn, your host here on the Talk House Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, not just this week, but all year long. 2019 has been just incredible here at the TalkHouse Podcast. We've had some amazing guests on the show. You ready for this? If you're driving, pull over. If you're not sitting, sit down. Brian Wilson, Tierra Wack, Harmony Kareen, Lake Bell, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Karen O, Fred Armisen, Chris Red, The Flaming Lips, Portugal, The Man, Snail Mail, Robert Glasper, The Magnetic Field, Shabazz Palaces, Kate Nash, Chelsea Peretti... <gasps> and so many, many more to chop it up on our favorite moments from the year and play some of those clips, both conversational and musical. I am so happy to welcome most of the TalkHouse team. Let's start out with the man in the shadows, our producer extraordinaire, Mark Yoshizumi. Welcome for the first time to this side of the show. What is up? Sitting next to you, we have executive editor Josh Modell in from Chicago. Josh, welcome back, man. Thank you. It feels good to be in Brooklyn. We never get to be in the studio together. This is a treat. This is weird to have everybody in the same room, but I like it. To your right, to my left, we have a man who wears so many hats that I don't even know what his official job title is. Keenan Cush, welcome back. And, and tell us, what is your official title? You do so many things, including catching all of my written fuck-ups before they get published. So thank you for that. Well, thanks for having me on, Elliot. I, I'm still trying to figure it out myself, but it's a lot of different hats. It's a balancing act. It is. You're the backbone of the TalkHouse podcast. The backbone. And maybe the TalkHouse in general. That's its official title. A woman who needs no introduction. You listeners already know her well. Senior editor Annie Fell. How goes? Good. Always good to be here. Thanks for joining us, man. And and finally, of course, another voice that you all welcome. He's been known as Nicholas America. <laughs> He's been known as... <laughs> we can put it to a vote if you want. <laughs> Nick Dawson, welcome back to the show. I am literally here. 
Talkhouse Films Editor-in-Chief Nick Dawson. So listen, are you all going to remember all those voices? I don't know. Maybe we'll do a few reminders as we all jump in and out of this conversation. But guys, we had a pretty wild year. One cool thing we got to do is work with so many amazing festivals this year. Yeah, we recorded incredible episodes at Form Festival in Arcosanti, Arizona, at Pitchfork in Chicago, as well as Midwinter, the Pitchfork Art Institute collaboration, the very warm Life is Beautiful Festival in Las Vegas, LA Comic Con, Desert Days, South by Southwest, Tomorrow Never Knows in Chicago. We were everywhere. We went to festivals and we celebrated the holidays. We did Valentine's Day episode, we did Father's Day episode, Mother's Day episode, and... It was a lot of fun doing those things. These were some of our first multi-guest episodes. For example, Valentine's Day, a handful of couples sharing the uh, pluses and minuses of both being professional artists. Yeah, love was in the air. Love (laughs) and art. I also want to mention something a little bit different that happened this year. We've always gotten fantastic coverage in the music press, in the film press, but we sort of entered some new territory this year. We did indeed. Yeah, within the span of just a couple weeks, we were covered in People, Us Weekly, Perez Hilton, all the celebi magazines for the Caitlin Bristow and Nikki Glaser episode. And then the Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tony Shea episode was shared by the official Burning Man Twitter account. <laughs> We've got all the bases covered. Life achievement unlocked. <laughs> that was definitely a weird week on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and you handle it, Keenan. Oh, boy. Well, guys, I would love to just jump into some of our favorite clips of this year. I wanted to start with one that you picked, Nick, because this was also one of my favorites. And having been in the room during the recording, a vibe unlike any other conversation we have had in the number of years this show has existed. This is, of course, Harmony Kareen and Kaveh Zahedi. Yeah, two guys who are very, very colorful characters. Harmony's movie, uh, The Beach Bomb, was coming out. We got him together with Kaveh Zahedi, who's... A friend from his past, should we say. Mutual fans who hadn't seen each other in quite a while. Yeah, Harmony used to call up Kaveh in the middle of the night when maybe (laughs) he'd uh, taken some substances and it was... Both of these guys have done quite a bit of that over the years and incorporated into their films. Indeed, and and Harmony has been uh, clean and sober for quite some time now, but the vibe lives on. And uh, this is such a fascinating conversation and I love that episode. Really, two people coming from very different places... And there was a a fair bit of deflection from Harmony in some way. But this was a part of the conversation where he was talking about his life in Florida, where he now lives. And I don't know, he gives him the recipe for joy. I mean, what could be better? Let's roll it. I have this like boat in Key Largo. You do? Yeah, it's the best boat. It's it's like, it doesn't really uh, go fast. It just kind of like, you know pretty slow boat is it like a a motorboat no no it's like yeah it's got a motor on it for sure but it's not a speed boat it's a sailboat no it's not a sailboat it's not like that boat at the end of the movie that he's in uh no 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 um it's like a robot no 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 yeah (laughs) that's like a yeah that's like a sailboat no this is a it's got a it's got a uh three motors oh three propellers you can sleep in this boat yeah, you could sleep in it. And so what I did is I put a carpet down on it and, and a mattress. And then I bought, I, there's this grocery store in Key Largo. I was going out of business. I bought four electronic poker machines uh, from them. And I hooked it up into, I had this, this guy named Al, Alberto. who's was a friend of mine down there. He works the docks and he rigged the poker machines up. And then... I usually go down and then I get, I don't know if you like Taco Bell, but I mostly just eat Taco Bell. I get these Crunchwrap Supremes and then a couple of uh, 
quarts of uh, Mountain Dew. And then I just go out on there. And if something happens, I get, it's so nice. It's like you, you go put, by yourself? Yeah, I go by myself. Sometimes I take the kids. Um, it really depends if I'm going to try to write or just hang out. I can fish there too. But I don't know. Something is, I, I really feel like I just cracked the nut. I discovered like the greatest thing on the planet. So when I eat the crunch wraps, drink the Mountain Dew, play the machines out in Key Largo, I can listen to that Christopher Cross dude, you know? You ever listen to Christopher no. Cross? He's a musician? Yeah, he's a musician. Made some uh, one really good record, in, I think, in the 80s. But then I just like him out there and all those things, and you're like, man, it, you know, really, that's like the best. That's the best it gets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't, I don't really win money against myself, right. <laughs> but it's like really fun. Uh-huh. Huh. So you think of yourself as a hedonist kind of? Uh, no, a hiddenness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more hiddenist. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But you think fun is like the point of life in a way? Yeah, well, I think like, I don't know what the point of, of it is or anything really, but I just think in the end, I think there's just joy. Uh-huh. Um, and you, that recipe right there that I gave you is uh-huh. pure joy. <laughs> That's why I was like, want, want, wanted you to know. Thank you for the recipe. I'll try that. Um, you have two kids, right? Uh-huh. And the first one I remember, I, I, I met you when at the opening of Trash Humpers. Right. Like, I mean, we talked in the park for a while. Right. And I think you'd had a daughter at that point. Right. Lefty? Lefty, yeah. And then you have another kid, right? Yeah, I have another kid, Hank. He uh-huh. was born when we were... Uh, shooting this one. Shooting it, yeah. So he's like one or something. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how, I have two kids, too. How do you feel like that has changed or has it changed like your outlook on film and yeah. art and fun it's cool i mean i'm like i got them like a badminton set the other day i love so, badminton so they like that and um they, they lefty must be like five or something yeah she's 15 no no i'm just kidding she's <laughs> she's actually 10 she uh she's not 10 is she yeah she's 10 she's 10 yeah wow time yeah, flies yeah. it really yeah it really Fuck. does but like uh, where we live, like manatees float by and you could just like throw, you can throw, uh, what are those things called? Uh, vegetables. For vegetables? You can throw yeah. like a vegetable at them. Uh-huh. And uh, it's great. Key West is great. Uh-huh. They um, have those six-toed cats. <laughs> you ever seen those? Yeah. Hemingway six-toed cats. Hemingway? His, his six-toed cats. Hemingway had a six-toed cat? Lots of them. There's like books about them. They're like part of the, they're like a, the treasure there. They like roam the streets. In the, Key West? Yeah, the descendants of his cats, uh, six really? toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like <laughs> there's a, um, sometimes you can, it's a, it's pretty trippy. I like to go to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum there. Uh-huh. I go there like a couple times a year. And then you see having the six-toed cats standing in front of Ripley's Museum you know, on Duval Street. Uh, like live ones. Yeah, they're just hanging out in front of the Ripley Museum. Huh. But it's like, the, it's the best combo. I drink some, I drink some uh, Mountain Dew, uh-huh. you know, and you can even get like the kind of... I've never had Mountain Dew. Is it really good? Yeah, it's good if you put like gummy bears at the bottom. Uh-huh. Or, <laughs> and it just like tr- trips you out. <laughs> I had seen... 
the famous Harmony Kareen David Letterman appearances, and I felt like I was witnessing something that was a definite relative of those, Nick. Yeah. That's funny. I like listening back, those moments where Kabe's laughing, and I just remember being in the room, he was looking at the two of us going, is Harmony just full of shit? Is he making up more stuff? <laughs> but he was actually completely accurate in what he was talking about, having made six-toed cats. And, and later in the episode, like there's something about Ripley that, that he just didn't believe at all that was completely true. It was one of the real highlights of the year for me on the podcast front. That is definitely a show worth revisiting, as is the one that spawned our next clip. We're going to head over to Annie Fell for this one. This is Cherry Glazer's Clem Creevy and Kate Nash. Yeah, this episode was really cool because Kate is actually sort of a mentor to Clem. Mm. They're both really amazing feminist, punk, indie, pop artists, and they've become really good friends over the years. In this clip specifically, Clementine tells Kate about the time that she covered a Megadeth song and how empowering it felt to kind of like perform from the perspective of a misogynist singing Dave Mustaine's lyrics. And it's a really interesting thought and the sort of backwards logic of it actually kind of makes a lot of sense. Mm. They're both so smart and funny and interesting and it's just so fascinating to hear these two outspoken feminist artists discuss this really interesting idea. Let's check it out. Dude, <laughs> you brought up such a great point about cross-reading. That's what that is, is like cross-reading. I guess a feminist writer taught me about cross-reading. Okay. I think it might be bell hooks. Cool. And cross-reading is when you, women have to do it all the time because most books are written by men about men. Right. Or whatever famous books right. that we read. <clears throat> okay. Um, classics. Yeah. And cross-reading <laughs> is when you're reading those books, you're cross-reading. Women have to do it constantly. Men have to do it very much less so. So you take your, you put your... You put your, you're reading uh, the perspective right. of a man written by a man. And it's your interpretation And of it's it. your interpretation oh, of so it. that's so interesting. And women have to do it constantly with shows, movies, everything. TV, wow. ads, uh, books, <laughs> yeah. everything. And like, History. Yeah. It's cool <laughs> because my bandmate, he is a cis man, straight mm -hmm. cis man, and he's reading Bell Hooks right now. Cool. About toxic masculinity <laughs> and... It's just cool to see him cross-reading. Yeah. Because I don't, it's it's cool to see, you know, I, th there's so many great women writers that are read mm -hmm. by men. And, and that's, the you know, that's the shit that happens a lot, especially mm -hmm. nowadays with, with so many awesome writers. But anyways, what you were saying about cross-reading with like that kind of role. Yeah. It made me think about this. Megadeth cover I had to do recently. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was so cool because Dave Mustaine <laughs> mm -hmm. is writing about how he's going to kill his lady <laughs> if she doesn't love him back. <laughs> and she and he'd rather kill her than not be loved by her. And I love I love singing from the perspective of misogynists. Yeah. I love it because it makes me feel so validated. <laughs> <laughs> like it makes me feel so good. I'm like, am I allowed to? S I'm really saying this, and everyone's going, yeah, yeah, cool, love it, great. It's like great. they don't even think about it, and I'm it. singing it. We actually sing this um, LCD sound system cover. I love LCD sound yeah. system, but there's this one line where he goes, "To think I used to pity you, to think I used I to pity you, it's true." And I would never write something like that. Yeah. I think because of the, I think a lot of it is um, an internalized 
sexism. Yeah. Where I feel like I wouldn't want to be seen as the kind of woman who is pitying somebody else. Yeah. I shouldn't put myself on that kind of pedestal. I shouldn't be so cocky. Right, right. Pitying someone else. I don't want to be seen as that cocky. Right, because you're above someone else. Right, because you're above someone else if you pity them. Exactly. Pity is such a... It's such an interesting word because it's... Yeah. It's like judgmental kind of. Yeah. It's like I pity you. (laughs) That's like, okay, wow. (laughs) Wow. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, it's so That'd be so intense if someone felt pity for you. Yeah. But when I sing it, I can sometimes feel really powerful. Uh Uh-huh. Because I'm like, whoa, I'm like singing about pitying someone. (laughs) Like, this is shit. That episode was such a cool conversation between two brilliant women. It was so amazing. Would you say that it's a fair assessment that Clem is the Dave Mustaine of her generation? Snap. I'm here for it, dude. I'm here for it. (laughs) I have no evidence to back it up, but it feels right to me. (laughs) Well, I want to take this opportunity to play a clip from two other absolute brilliant women who are also great friends This next clip is actually a musical collaboration. Now, to set this up, Mark, you and I flew out to the desert in Arizona and we glamped. We actually glamped. We glamped. That was my first time ever glamping at Form Festival in Arcosanti, Arizona, the amazing architectural wonder of Paolo Soleri, which I think was constructed in the 60s. Am I right? Yeah, and is still under construction. There's a hundred or so people living there at any given time working to finalize his vision of a, a purely environmentally oriented city. It's like the coolest kind of commune you could imagine. It's a wonder to walk around and see all the amazing buildings, which are transformed into venues for the festival, which is incredible. They've set up this small village, again, in the middle of the desert, people. I mean, there's nothing around it. It all seems so otherworldly. We're starting to sound like Harmony Korean here, I know, <laughs> but it's, it's just hard to describe. I will say this. We did a very cool new thing there where we collaborated with Pulp Arts, who are down in Florida. Gainesville, Florida, yeah. Gainesville, with Patreon and with FormFest itself to set up a backstage area that was a 24-hour recording studio where we would have artists join in talk house conversation and then musically collaborate afterwards. And there was some amazing talent on display. There really was. You have a pick coming later in the show from that. This particular one sees the fantastic art pop singer, songwriter, and cellist Kelsey Liu performing with one of my absolute favorite living poets, Yursa Daly Ward. Oh, and they were accompanied by Max Andre Rademacher, who tours with Yursa. Let's play it. grow up in a place where people fight. People fight. 
People come out of the bathroom ready for war. People fight. People come to the table with knives up their sleeves. Nobody cares how they skin each other. You grow up in a place where people say what they think they need to say to win the hour. You grow up in a place where everybody stops growing. It's devastating, rude, hereditary. You grow up or you don't grow up. You stay in a place where people help themselves to the last of the things that they think they need, fall apart in the kitchen, take bloody hostages and kill each other slowly, where people snip their sentences into angles, where people leave but not quickly enough, where people die in agony on the linoleum floor. You forget how to grow and it's almost forever. You move out to a place where no one comes around on a Sunday. You eat alone in your room and never for fun. You grow complicated with awful, awful potential. Watch out. Catch yourself falling. Catch yourself falling apart, mostly in the morning. such a wonderful performance and that's never going to be on a record anywhere that's just a one-off special thing that happened as was something that we did earlier this year in chicago as part of tomorrow never knows fest josh tell us about this yeah we did a live podcast taping with mike kinsella of american football among other bands and uh, andy hull of manchester orchestra those guys had known each other quite a while before hadn't really been in touch we got them back together and it was like old friends having a chat and then they kind of punctuated it with some songs as well and did a lot of teasing of each other, which was, I thought, a lot of fun in front of a live audience who loved it too. Yeah, and listeners, if you want to check out those performances, they're actually included in that podcast episode. Yep, the songs are right there in the podcast. Yeah. You don't even need to click twice. Well, tell us about the clip that you chose from that show, Josh. This is one of many instances in the conversation where uh, Mike is kind of teasing Andy, but they get talking about their songwriting process, which I thought was interesting, specifically about the idea of now that they're both dads, they have less time and they have to kind of concentrate more. And then we also learn in here that um, their songs are all about sex. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, yeah, right? Let's check it out. For me, I was kind of losing my inspiration mm -hmm. a, a little bit before kids. Like mm -hmm. I, around our, a certain record of ours, a record Cope, mm -hmm. I felt like I sort of wasn't sure I found it, but it took a while to like find it, why I was doing what I was doing. Yeah. I found that having kids has made me, when I'm working on stuff, it's made me more um, do you write, dedicated. Do you write, like, do you have a, uh, what's your process? Do you have like a set time? Do you know, like this, uh, Maisie go to bed and then you go and write or is no, it like? No, when she goes to bed, you know what happens when the kids go to bed, you're just like, oh God. Sex, yeah, it's all sex. It's all sex. <laughs> That's what they don't tell you. I know what happens. Oh, sexy. If you guys, for the podcast, I'm just making the cry face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. You know exactly. You know how it's it just is. just sex, man. Um, nonstop. Um, no, that's the last thing I want to do. Yes, personally, that's why the only music. reason we can get to sports here is I have such guilt for how much I like sports, but it's like mindless and it's helpful. Like at the end of a day, yeah, it's like all. I'm just like I can pretend this matters for a while totally. and just like a shut off and, yeah. and a game and and just to kind of shut it off for a second. Mm -hmm. I feel like my mind's running 
always. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice when that's sort of the moment. So what I do is I try and write songs during the day. It's just yeah. a nightmare. You when know? you're not touring or writing, I know you guys like you have ret- writing retreats like collectively and yep. stuff. Are you home all day? You're just like a dad mode? or Mostly, yeah. yeah. Unless there's something to work on, I'm home. And trying to just like Amy wants to go and... And work out or, or needs to go Sounds run errands. selfish. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, she's, she's the worst. She wants I to mean, do stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, she would like to do she stuff likes while I've been gone too? for a month. You Doesn't know, she um, know that you want to be creative then? Yeah. You don't open your eyes for a while. You just breathe that moment out. 40 miles out of east to the north of it was really cool being part of Tomorrow Never Knows Fest for the first time. It was also such a pleasure to be part of the official South by Southwest stage. Keenan Cush, your pick came from Austin. Tell us about it. Yes, yeah, so this clip features two indie rock vets, Broken Social Scenes, Kevin Drew and John Vanderslice. And I have to say, one of the cool things about being here on the Talk House is, you know, being exposed to so many artists because I've, of course, know Kevin Drew and Broken Social Scene, but I haven't been too familiar with John Vanderslice's music before. So it's so cool being exposed. I had a similar experience in that I knew his music, but I didn't know just how many production credits the guy had. It was nuts. Oh, yeah. True multi-hyphenate there. Yeah. And so this talk actually was kind of the brainchild pairing. Was it of yours, Elias, or Josh? It was sort of a team effort, this one. Combo platter. Yeah, yeah. We were working together to see who was down at South by that we'd really wanted to have on the show for a while and, and who would fit together. It's a real Tetris getting the perfect fit, huh? Yeah. But it came together at the last minute and those guys became like fast friends. I think by the end of the taping, they were besties forever. They exchanged numbers at oh, the yeah. end. Of it was hugs. Yeah. They were hugging each other. They were hugging me. So I think that they were there's hugging strangers. A, this is true. There's going to be a Vanderslice produced BSS record coming up. There has to be. Yeah. And we deserve a credit and a penny on Executive every, every unit sold. <laughs> yeah, the talk was really fun. They go into ordering cocaine on the dark web, microdosing, <laughs> uh, they're, you know, running a studio just economically and uh, logistically with uh, Vanderslice, tiny telephone out in San Francisco. But there's this really interesting tour story that comes out and it puts you in the shoes of the artists themselves on tour. Let's roll the tape. Gonna, we're going to do a little something, something. But um, I want to get to the road because I read that you quit touring. Yes. And yes. I read that you quit touring because you had a, you almost were in a fatal accident or something well, I, happened that made you say, okay, that could have happened in the van. I don't want to go out like this. Yeah. And and we're, our lives are products of the rumble strip, you yes. know, especially right. in Europe. Yes. You hit that rumble strip, you're sleeping in a bunk. Yeah. And it's the scariest feeling to wake yep. up to. Yep. What, what made you walk away? So it was, um, we were on the 80 and, and we were, um, we were going probably 75, 80 miles an hour. And it was, and it was dusk and we were in, I think we were in Ohio and there was a car parked on the 80 and it didn't have its hazards on. It was just parked and maybe the car seized up or something, but there wasn't even like brake lights. So we were cooking and we were in the, with the slow lane and we saw the car maybe 50, 30 yards ahead of hitting it. And, the driver swerved over to the other lane and the van kind of keeled up on two wheels. And I was like, nope, we're, we're, we're out. We're going to flip. I was like, I knew it. I was like, I, and, and we didn't. And there wasn't a truck there. There wasn't a car. We didn't push anyone over. The van went down. We passed the car. I mean, we barely made it around this car. And I thought just immediately, I'm out. I'm done. I had a great run. 
I was totally happy. I didn't say anything to anyone. We were all quiet and just like, well, we're certainly, you know, when you, when you tour, you have so many close calls that you actually, your neurons won't fire anymore. You know what I mean? But this, my like primal brain was like, no, you're too far out. You're too far out in the ocean. You need to come back. And so I basically went home knowing that I would never tour again. That sort of sounds like you, Seth, what, uh, Cat Stevens. Oh, yeah. He was in the ocean. Oh, tell me. Tell, get, he was me. in the ocean and he was, I think he was in Malibu and uh, he just got caught in the tide and he said, God, if you let me live, I swear I'll change it all. Wow. And he got to the shore and I got to see his tour. He did this thing called, uh, how, do you, how do you pronounce his name? Yusuf Islam. It yeah. was like Yusuf Cat Stevens in the attic. So yeah. he rebuilt his his attic where he used to live Yeah, when he was a child and it was stunning. That's amazing. It was stunning. It was such a stunning show. And he literally closed the show with a monologue from Zootopia. <laughs> no. <laughs> the bunny's monologue at the end. And he just said, it's really that simple, folks. If we could follow this monologue from this children's film. It was... It, That's I, amazing. Yeah. It was... Uh, I was turning 40 <laughs> and it was a 40th birthday. And my partner at the time brought me and I'll never forget that because um, it... Uh, was it was another one of those things where I thought, oh, he's coming into town. I knew about it, and then yeah. so do you want to go? It's like sure, I'll go. And then yeah. I just said, what, what, what am I? What was I thinking? I know every single song. That's he, amazing. He busted into trouble, and I got teary eyed. Oh my god! Because I was a child of Harold and Mott. You know, I saw that when I was twelve, and oh, thought yeah. this is the greatest film of all time. Oh yeah. But either way, getting back to it's it's amazing how when you're on the road, the drivers that's the most important person yes. on the road. Yes, is the driver. Of the van or the tour bus. Yes. That's it. Yep. That Absolutely. person has yeah. your life. And we know in their people hands. who've who've yeah, we do. who have died. We know people who've like lost the ability to walk. It's like it's it's the way that you're gonna go out, you know? The the fast way, the slow mo way is alcohol. And then there's that's great. Nice segue. Yes. Because that is the truth. I, I mean, we're now in our forties. I don't know how yeah. old you are. But we I'm, don't I'm have, 51. And there you go. We have yeah. members in our band the same way. And I always was warned, you know, it's not going to be heroin. It's not going to yes. be cocaine. It's not going to be marijuana. Yeah. It's going to be alcohol that you're going to slowly see. So do see. all those other drugs and don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> and I'm actually not, not kidding. <laughs> well, but it's interesting to see that on the road as well, because yeah. it's getting introduced to the nonstop 24 hour bar. Yes. I didn't realize how much I, it was just going to suck yes, us into that world. Absolutely. And we're, we are in the business of selling booze. Yeah. That's what we do. Yep. And uh, the party that uh, never stops, you have to stay on top of that. Yes, absolutely. I will say, I think one of the trends of 2019 that I'm really positive about, Keenan, is artists talking about self-care, you know? Definitely. Whether that's working out on tour, whether that's touring less or in a, in a more mindful way. It's, it's been cool to see. And in, like just knowing the importance of like picking a good driver because literally your lives are in their hands. Yeah, yeah. We're going to leave Austin and hop back to Arco Santi for our next pick, a another musical collaboration. Mark, this was your choice. Tell us about it. Yeah, we were talking just a minute ago about the amazing collaboration that we were able to take part in with Patreon and the phenomenally talented Pulp Art, where we did a bunch of talk house talks with the bonus edition 
of improvised performances in our little makeshift studio that we'd set up. And the one that I'm picking is jazz legend Robert Glasper improvising with Vieux Farcature, the Malian guitarist. Yeah, they were joined by Vieux's band, Marshall Henry on bass and Tim Kuyper on drums. And one of those only at form festival things happened where the brilliant sculptor, singer, songwriter Lonnie Holly had come just to hang out and watch the collaboration. Well, a couple songs into their jam, Lonnie got involved. Kind of a magical moment, and it felt very talk house. We bring people together. From the moment you were born Until you put in the ground Such an amazing gathering of people there. That was really a once-in-a-lifetime combo and just so special. You know, that really makes me think of a clip that you chose here, Josh, which is you brought together some fantastic musicians as part of a remembrance to Frightened Rabbits' Scott Hutchison for a, a really powerful event here in Brooklyn at Rough Trade NYC. Yeah, I think probably as a lot of people know, uh, Scott Hutchison and Frightened Rabbit killed himself last year. When he died, the band had already been working on a tribute to their best record, The Midnight Organ Fight. So this kind of served as a celebration of that record and also a celebration of Scott's life. So we brought together Peter Cadis, who produced The Midnight Organ Fight, Craig Finn of Hold Study, who's on the tribute record and who was a friend of Scott's, and Katie Harkin, who was also a friend of Scott's. And she's, as you know, a, a solo artist and a member of Slater Kinney and Courtney Barnett's band. Now, the three touched on a lot in, in their panel discussion it really fits that you chose the clip that you did, Josh, because it really calls back to something we were just talking about here on the show, self-care and how difficult it is for artists. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously this conversation got kind of deep with Scott's death and and I think the three people on stage were kind of thinking about how the music industry and specifically touring can kind of wear you down. And the final audience question of the night was essentially about self-care, to which Katie Harkin gave a brilliant answer, touching on the idea of emotional capital and about how artists are asked to sort of spend this emotional capital and how they're, they're not really necessarily taken care of. And they need to be taken care of both by themselves, but also by the industry around them. And I think she has some amazing ideas. And I think it's been kind of stigmatized to talk about how hard it is to be a musician. But in fact, I think the three people on the stage could tell us like, yeah, there are some downsides. And, and we know that the road life was, was not good for Scott Hutchison. Mm -hmm. And I think they learned that as well. And I think it's becoming easier for people to talk about it. And I think she puts it brilliantly in this clip. Let's check it out. Scott made such personal music. And for me personally, he died at 36 on my 36th birthday, which like hit me crazy hard. And I've been wondering, you know, as you progress in your career as an artist and you make work from a very personal place, how do you find ways to balance and kind of like protect your mental health in the process? That's a great question. Thank you for bringing that up. I think it's important that the industry recognizes that it becomes more self-aware that the music industry is an industry of emotional labor. Um, and if you are setting up business to profit off artists' emotional labor, you should also be mindful of their mental health. And I think that's something that's culturally becoming a conversation that people are more ready to have but you know even the throwaway comment about civilized hours in the studio just speaks to how the fact that it is a an industry of overexertion in every single way both physical and mental and it's yeah it, it can be rough so we need to take a long hard look at our practices absolutely i, th I believe that the tiny changes uh, foundation is you know aiming to keep those conversations going. Um, I know for myself, at some point, I just realized that like every day as an artist, you're either kind of pushing the boulder up the hill or it's rolling down back on top of you. And you have to kind of wake up and make a decision what you're going to do. And, you know, it doesn't mean every day is pushing it, pushing it up, but uh, you have to have at least most of those days um, in a week. And uh, that can be Therapy or, or talking to people, but also, in my case, exercise really helps and, and routine helps. Um, I find that, I don't think people talk about this, but I find the tour bus to be like one of the most damaging things. Uh, not seeing how you get places, um, not seeing sunlight for a long time. I think that um, being on a tour bus, I, I really have found I prefer being in a van because you get to see where you're going and you see more, even if you have to get out of bed earlier you see more sun and that's very helpful to me. But I think, you know, different people are different, but I think it's, it's making the decision to work on your mental health as an artist is really important. When my head rolls off, someone else's return. And while I'm alive, I'll make sunny changes to that was a clip of Craig Finn's version of Heads Roll Off from that Tiny Changes record. Really, if you haven't had a chance to check that out this year, that is one to spend some time with. Now, Nick, Rough Trade NYC, where that talk took place, is my favorite record store here in New York. I adore it. Shouts to them. Thank you for existing. And it's not too far from the studio we're sitting in right now, my favorite studio in Brooklyn, Hook and Fade, where we do a lot of our talk house work and where the next couple clips that you and I chose were recorded. 
returning for his hat trick of appearances on Talkhouse Podcast, that is the big three for Chris Gethard, he was joined in conversation by his friend and occasional collaborator, Mal Blum. Yeah, this is actually a clip from their conversation that didn't make it to the final cut, didn't quite fit in the flow of the conversation, but I was like, this one, I'm putting in my back pocket for the best of. It's a fascinating little story that Gethard told about trying to get the Mountain Goats to appear on the Chris Gethard show <laughs> in kind of the most elaborate and absurd way. Just, just to give a little context, the Chris Gethard show cast member Murph had beef with Gimgul, which is a, <laughs> a collegiate secret society based in North Carolina, close to where John Darnell, lead singer of the Mountain Goats, lives. Okay. And, and so that might not be clear for those people who are not fully up to speed. But yeah, this it's a pretty wild story. And uh, I don't know, I feel like I should just let Gethard tell it. Let's do it. I really love the Mountain Goats. I want to be careful. I had a weird experience where we almost pulled off the most amazing Gethard show thing with, with the Mountain Goats. And then it got spoiled due to money. And this was back in our public access days. And it always broke my heart. We were going to do... Happened? I we have mutual friends. Yeah, it's nothing against him. We have mutual friends. Tom Sharpling being like the the real key. Mm -hmm. And I got in touch with John, and you know, all of our fans were saying like, with everything I was talking about back in those days, mental health and everything, and blending it with comedy. People were like, you gotta get yeah, like the number one request for musical guests. So I reached out. John was very nicely like, yeah, I'm not touring though. I'm not going to be in New York anytime soon. You come to me. Well, I brought it up. You'll love this story. I go okay. What if I rent buses and we, because you know how crazy I was back then with these art <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, what if we do a thing where we put all our fans on buses? We do a drawing where we get a whole bunch of hotel rooms in Chapel Hill. You know, you get two beds in a hotel room. You can sleep four to a room. We'll do a random drawing on the way down the coast. Every hotel room will have one Gethard Show cast member. And then three randomly assigned fans. You stay in a room with, with the a cast? cast member from your favorite show. Oh my God. We go all the way down there. Do you remember Murph had that feud with Gim Ghoul? Do you remember this? He, a secret society based out of UNC? Yes, I do he remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, he's been doing this feud for a year. We're going to Chapel Hill. We'll take all our fans, march through the woods to this castle. He'll confront them on camera with a hundred of our fans behind him. Oh my God. Then we'll put on a live show. I'll rent all this equipment so we can live stream from Cat's Cradle. Legendary venue. We had played it as part of a comedy festival yes. down there. So we okay. had a relationship there. I'll rent all the cameras. We'll live stream it like rent. And uh, he was like, yeah. If you'll, and I was like, and you'll come on. You'll be the guest. You'll play a couple songs. It'll be epic. And we'll, all our fans who are requesting you, will do it in this like massive journey. And he was like, yeah, sounds awesome. <laughs> and uh, we emailed a whole bunch. And then it got passed on to the agents and the yeah. managers. Mm. And... I think those people were not art people. And you remember my life back then. What I'm describing to you, we'll call it, like that is going to cost like $20,000 minimum to rent all those buses and equipment and hotel rooms. Yeah. And I'm not going to gouge my fans and overcharge them. I'm like, I'm probably going to eat $10,000. Right. You're just like, but I want to pull this off. I want to pull it off so bad. Bonkers bananas. And I had had a couple deals that paid me big money and I put that money in a bank account and didn't change my lifestyle. Like I had that sitcom in 2010. I had this ISC Mm -hmm. deal. So I was like so crazy back then. I'm like, I barely have $10,000. But I'm blessed. But you to know have what it. I'm gonna use it on? I'll use it on this. <laughs> and then when the agents turned around and started demanding a bunch of money on top of it, I was like, this is gonna 
right. I'm already going to be losing my yeah. bank account on this. When I said no, yes, I didn't mean it. Tell all of the ones it made me repeat it. If it didn't matter, if I didn't mind, then we can call it fine. And you say yes. Nick, thank you so much for that fantastic deleted scene. Yeah, couldn't miss out on that one. <laughs> for the sort of centerpiece choice of mine, as far as the clip being just a little bit longer than the rest in the show, I wanted to spend a few moments with this really special episode, special for me and for a lot of our fans. This was one of the most popular shows we put out this year. The Magnetic Fields seminal three-album masterpiece, 69 Love Songs, turned 20 years old this year. And this is, listeners, my absolute desert island disc. I know it's a little bit of a cheat. It's three records. But this is this brilliant record that covers so many musical genres that, well, don't listen to me talk about it. Here's the Magnetic Fields leader, Stephen Merritt, in conversation with their accordionist for 69 Love Songs, Daniel Handler. You may know Daniel better as the author Lemony Snicket. He, of course, wrote the best-selling mega-hit series, A Series of Unfortunate Events. In these clips, which I've taken from throughout the episode, they discuss the aforementioned difficulty with categorizing 69 Love Songs, working on both of their sprawling series at the same times, the press reception, and Stephen's theory that 69 Love Songs should have actually been sold in sex shops. Check it out. So, Mr. Merritt, I first met you at St. Dymphna's Diner. I don't know if I would call it a diner, Daniel Handler. Uh, more of an Irish pub, I think. A late, lamented Irish pub. Um, well, Connor, I think we Oberst have different and opinions I are, are, are uh, lamenting it just We now. sat down and had a short meal, and I thought to myself, well, this is just some place we met. Surely we won't return here to this horrible <laughs> Irish place. And then we were there daily for 19 years, well, it and was I ordered every single thing. horrible Irish could... place to my uh, <laughs> squalid East Village hovel. Yeah, so you would write songs there all day long with pots of tea. Yes, when I could uh, drink my tea black. But when I first met you, um, we had talked about working together on something, and then we had both had separate ideas. You had had an idea to do an album, 69 Love Songs, and I had an idea to write 13 children's books about terrible things happening to orphans. And we basically said to each other, we'll just do these little things that we've thought of, and then we'll work on this project together. And yes. 35 years later, no, 20 years later, um, we should have we should have combined <laughs> those were the bigger two. ideas than we thought. I think <laughs> that's the moral of the story. If we had combined the two, uh, it would all be one obscure morass. Yeah, a, a fatberg. Do you still listen to the record? No, um, I haven't recently. No. Do you hear it ever at yes, random? Yes, that's, that's or? why I don't listen to it uh, deliberately. Is because I actually do hear it involuntarily. Uh, Under what circumstances do you cafes? Hip okay, hipster cafes. Hipster meaning people under fifty. I understand. Yes. One thing that happened over the years since the album came out for me is that it turned out to be a children's album. Um, a bunch you of us had children. Say. 
And um, and then also, I think just the entire experience of anyone who was at the knitting factory in 1999, many of them have children or started having children in the years to follow. And the funny lyrics and the ear-popping sound, I think, makes it a very accessible children's record. The songs are short for the most part. They can be repetitive. They have fun noises on them. And so if you are a small child and you have a short attention span, you can listen to 69 Love Songs with unending delight. And I know that for my, for my own son and for many other people's children, that what seemed like a um, an album for grown-ups as we actually became grown-ups and have children turned out to be an album for children. So you're saying it's Tweecore. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell me the number of genre categories they've attempted to put this record into? Oh, my God. So many. <laughs> Yes, uh, German journalists swear that it is lo-fi, despite its all-digital recording uh, technology. Right. It's DDD uh, workflow. Um, we were briefly categorized as electroclash when that movement seemed like a movement. Right. Um, which I, I don't hear that phrase anymore. There was... Indie pop, which was always a problem for me and for Claudia because when we were coming up, indie pop meant Indian popular music or Indian influence, such as the Immortal Monsoon album. Sure. Um, then there was indie rock, which as far as I can tell is exactly the same thing as college rock or new rock or the various things that came after new wave. I wish the microphones were picking up the disdainful frown with which you, <laughs> which would you name all these genres of music. I'm fairly sure that the audience can hear the sneer with which <laughs> I'm derogating these alleged genre markers. Um, I could go on and on, but I think I won't. I mean, if I had a gun to my head and was asked to say what the genre of 69 love songs was, it would certainly be variety show. It changes genre um, pointedly every two minutes and 15 seconds. It's therefore a variety show. It felt like a variety show when we first played it at the Knitting Factory. Yes, because we had to change instruments every single song. Yeah, yes. and we were on a tiny stage... And was that when Claudia nearly decapitated someone by playing the piano? Yes. Who was it that was nearly decapitated? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh. I remember that you stood up on a stool and were singing uh, The Night You Can't Remember, and I was playing accordion, and when you reached the end of the song, you, full of cognac and triumph, could not get off the stool, <laughs> and you had to lie across me like a sleeping child <laughs> brought home to oh, get off the, uh, yeah. the stool. Yes, a non-union hall. <laughs> In well, a union hall, burly men would have rushed out to get me off the stool before I sued them. I think there was so much music that was very aggressive and um, proud of itself for being simplistic, and you were proud of being complicated and literate, and I think that it, that meant a whole lot to people. If you look at the 1999 Paz and Drop poll, and who was in that? It's kind of horrifying. 
what what the critics were willing to put up with and say that they liked in 1999 was really a low point um, that uh, everything has all those genres have either disappeared or gotten a lot more interesting again. So you're on the cover of the Village Voice in a, an astronaut costume. Yes. And they couldn't get Queen Latifah to do it. <laughs> no, you were the number two choice that year. And number one was Moby. But I remember that everyone in New York loved your record so much that you had to be on the cover instead of Moby. I think Moby just wasn't available, but yeah. <laughs> or not willing to get into an astronaut costume. <laughs> And didn't have a chihuahua. Um, and I, I, there was maybe it was Spin Magazine. I can't remember what it was, but you were on some list. And I remember to celebrate, we were all at a bar, and that you were on the list right under Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> which just seemed <laughs> like a very funny moment to me. And we were all lifting our glasses of cognac, like so the best record of the world. Of course, it's not as good as Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> Everybody knows that, but it's really good. <laughs> For me, Six and I Love Songs was the first record that people might buy as they were stopping buying records. There was something about its Giftiness. concept and its physical form that was so appealing that as people were starting not to buy a physical object as an album, they would buy that anyway. Yes. I think we should have distributed it in sex shops. Uh, Always just, with the smart marketing ideas, Mr. Merritt. Well, I, I, th I think it would have been a good idea. Um, you know, it's, it's got the 69 on the cover. It's an uh, excellent gift uh, for someone you wish to be um, seeing a great deal more of. Um, so you would go to a, a sex shop less. and buy some kind of erotic item and also the album that might get the person in the mood. That's a complicated package. Exactly. <laughs> Here, a gift, and three hours from now, we'll be using the second gift. <laughs> as soon as the last chord of zebra has faded into the background, you'll just roll into bed with me. Well, I was thinking uh, <laughs> perhaps it could be the new Barry White, where you, you are expected to be... Um, Reproducing or, or yeah, no, whatever. I think Fido, your leash is too long. It's definitely the next Barry White. You were, uh -huh. <laughs> I can think of nothing more ironic. <laughs> uh, I have been hearing Barry White recently quite a bit more in my places I hang out, and um, Barry White's voice, while admittedly low and sexy, has a preposterous quality that one might find a little counter. Sexual, if asked to reproduce to it now. With all due respect, you're a man who finds the Forbidden Planet soundtrack to be erotic, and so <laughs> I think your opinion means nothing in this field. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you're the last person I would ask about make-out records. <laughs> well, Avalon is kind of short. <laughs> so are you. Yes. <laughs> There's a clip of Let's Pretend We're Bunny Rabbits from 69 Love Songs. Just brilliant. I have to say, I learned from this episode the word fatberg. Do any of you know what a fatberg is? Vaguely familiar. 
I have no idea. It sounds scary. Is this what they find in the sewers? Yes. I see the yes. subway ads for it all the time. This is, here's the Wikipedia definition. I had to look this up when Stephen dropped this one. A fatberg is a congealed mass in a sewer system formed by the combination of flushed non-biodegradable solid matter, such as wet wipes and congealed grease or cooking fat. Right oh, so it's lunch. like iceberg fat. <laughs> it's a fat for, uh, now I get it. Stephen Merritt dropping knowledge. You learn and, something new uh, every day. Fantastic songs. He told us during that session that there is going to be some magnetic fields music coming very soon. Exciting. Yeah. Now for this last clip, we bring together both sides of today's show, conversation and music, but in one. This is the first musical talk as we called it. Fred Armisen on drums and in conversation, Mary Lynn Rice Cub on guitar and in conversation, and snail mail leader Lindsey Jordan on guitar and chatting as well. This is a little bit of an inspirational clip. Fred is imagining something beautiful to end today's show. Check it out. I saw this picture of a mountain that was so beautiful. I got to tell you guys about it. When we're done with this... I'm going to tell you guys about this mountain picture. It was like snow. Really? I could do like a little guitar thing while you talk about the mountain. I saw this beautiful photograph of a mountain. I don't know where it was. It doesn't matter where it was. There's snow on the peaks and crevices and shadows. It seemed as if there were a storm, yet the sun shone onto the mountainside. Mm. It could have been in Asia, it could have been in the Rocky Mountains, but in the foreground, there was nettle, like a sort of bushes of nettle. And I just wanted to reach out and touch it, and then I pulled my hand back and I thought, let nature do its damn thing. Leave nature alone. All the single ladies, the small things, and mountains keep growing. Keep growing, and you could even be bigger than Mount Everest. Yes, I said it. You can be bigger than Mount Everest. Just believe in yourself, mountains. Keep growing and snowing, and skiers and mountain climbers will find you. And when they do, One tell them Freddie sent you. Better put a ring on it. See you on the other side. If you want it, put a ring on it. That seems right. To all of you listeners out there in podcast land, keep on growing in 2020. We can't wait to see you on the other side of the new year. We want to give a big thank you to all of the artists who came on the show this year, all of the engineers who helped record these great episodes. Big shouts to Perry Tripp, who's our director of sales and partnerships, and our publisher, Ian Wheeler. Till next year, I'm Elia Einhorn. I'm Nick Dawson. I'm Annie Fell. I'm Keenan Kush. I'm Josh Modell. And I'm the man in the shadows, Mark Yoshizumi. Okay. You guys ready? One, two, three. Peace. Peace. Add goodwill to old man. And 2020.
Whoa. What the fuck was that? <laughs> was that the man in the shadows? <laughs> I just dropped my mic as I had to do some virtual stuff coming up. <laughs> Sorry. Never again. Mike. First and last Yoshizumi <laughs> episode. Totally. Off the gig. Mm-hmm.